Welcome back to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. Today, I am so excited to have our guest, Veronica, on to talk about a bunch of different topics that are going to be really interesting for nomads, potential nomads, and expats alike. So I would love to welcome Veronica to the podcast. She is a 30-year-old California-raised digital nomad who has lived in Melbourne, Australia for the last six years. Her and her husband, who's from New Zealand, are both freelance baristas and are full-time house and pet sitters. Veronica also writes articles for Sustainable Jungle and is a brand designer and manager. She's been to 28 countries in the last decade and has spent six months this year traveling Mexico, the US, and a two-month house sit in Paris. With a bachelor's in cultural anthropology, Veronica is pursuing a master's in museum and heritage management and wants to work in underwater archaeology preservation. What a cool master's to be doing, Veronica. Thank you for being on the show. And I'm so excited to dive into a bunch of different topics today. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Uh, Absolute pleasure. And thanks for my intro. (laughs) Absolutely. So I want to dive right into it. And I think a lot of other nomads and or expats listening are always curious to start out with why did you leave your home country of the USA? Where did that come from? And then now you're in Australia. So how did you get from the US to Australia? What did that look like? And what was your why for leaving and wanting to start a life elsewhere? Right. So uh, I am originally from California. But when I had decided to leave, my my family, half of my family was living in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so I was also living there. I had just graduated um, from college in 2015. And um, earlier in 2011, I did semester at sea. So that was the major kind of catalyst for why I tra- ended up traveling and leaving the States and moving somewhere else was... I had never traveled before, um, and at 19, I went on semester at sea, which took me to 14 ports of call around the globe on a cruise ship while I took classes on the ship and did in-port activities and that kind of thing. Um, And from there, obviously, travel bug bit me, and I, you know, living in a tiny small town of Westchester, Ohio, and no one had ever left that town. I had grown up with the same people, et cetera, et cetera, and... I was dating a guy for like three or four years. I just graduated. I had was in a job I didn't like. I was in an apartment I didn't like. And I was just like, is this it? Is this all there is? So I met a girlfriend and I was just like, she was kind of in the same situation. She had just graduated all this, all the exact same things. And we were like, do you want to just book a one-way ticket to Paris and see what happens? And we did. <laughs> and so from there, we traveled Europe for three months. We went to um, Asia for a couple of months. And then along that journey, I had met a guy in Germany who was Australian. And I knew that he was going back to Australia. So I was like, I'm going to go to Australia and see what happens. And, you know, short little fling, two months or whatever. But what a wild journey to go from that to I met my husband. (laughs) And I traveled 
the entire Nullarbor of Australia um, over three weeks and just had an absolutely wild journey, but ultimately left the US because um, I didn't see myself growing there anymore. And it's a really kind of difficult place monetarily, as we know, they don't get paid very well, et cetera. Like maybe now they do from six years ago, but whatever. Um, and then I came here with no idea I knew I did no planning, nothing, knew nothing about Australia. Uh, all I knew was sharks and kangaroos and surfing, stereotypical stuff. <laughs> so came here, could barely understand what people were saying. Um, and I just wish that there had been content or something available to me that I could have referenced that would have made landing so much easier, like landing on my feet. And so... That's why we'll kind of get into later what I'm creating from that experience. <laughs> wow, what a journey. Oh my gosh. So one thing I would love to touch on from what you just said that I think is really interesting to a lot of people and especially a lot of potential listeners who want to take the leap, but there's always so many things for everyone is different, but there's many things that have the potential to hold you back from actually just going. You said, you know, you were just ready to go. You booked a one-way ticket to Paris and then that was it for you. So I would love to hear a word of wisdom or advice for somebody who's in a situation who wants to do what you did and live a lifestyle like you have now, but who isn't really sure if it's going to work out for them, if it's the right move. I'm sure all of the things that were running through your mind before you booked the one-way ticket to Paris and were like, let's just do it. Let's go. Yeah. Like I'll say right off the bat, I was not a wealthy person. My parents didn't fund anything. I was a pretty much broke 24-year-old at that point. <laughs> and I... I think I left with about $7,000 in my, my my bank account to go for three months with no round trip ticket. So that doesn't go very far in Europe. <laughs> um, and ultimately, I would say from the get-go, now doing what I'm doing as a house sitting and house and pet sitter, um, to utilize that for accommodations, because accommodations are the one thing that like just eat up your money so fast. And it's annoying but a you know a necessary evil <laughs> that you have a house or a roof over your head um but it's you know what drove me was people saying I wish I had done that um I'll do that someday or being naysayers and saying you can't do that or that's irresponsible um or what about your job what about your boyfriend this that and the other and it's like if you have clarity over what you want and I knew I wanted to travel my entire life since I was seven years old that nothing can get in your way you are the only one saying any excuse you know like if you want something bad enough you'll find a way no matter how little money or how much money you have to go do it and now especially with the opportunities we have available online for digital work and after covid the entire kind of work sphere job sphere transitioning into remote work you know i spent three or four years trying to find remote work online before covid and it was just not possible and then COVID, and then it was like i have jobs left right and center online and so it's 
easier now than ever for someone who wants to go and do something like this to just go um, and, you know, go on sites like Udemy and stuff like that, learn the skill and then incorporate it. I love That's it. That's <laughs> such great words of wisdom. And it's so true. The realm is so different for being able to travel. And if you want this lifestyle enough, like you said, and I think a lot of us living it have wanted enough and have had to make those entire life changes that really turn your life upside down. Um, but it's funny because I always remember, and I've told this on previous episodes of my podcast too, but I always remember um, before I moved abroad, I went originally to teach English back like five or six years ago. So this was way before, you know, like remote work or anything like that. Um, but I remember telling family and friends and friends' parents as well and saying, you know, like, I'm so excited to do this and see what happens. And all of them said, oh yeah, I know people who have done that before and it's great for a year or eight months, whatever. And then they come back and then they get an office job in the business suit and tie and business suit, whatever. And then they live their life. And then that is their life. And it's kind of just like a one year or eight month or maybe two year if they're lucky stint before they go back to their life, their quote unquote real life in the Western world. And I just remember thinking when I heard that, oh my gosh, I hope that's not me. If, you know, if it really goes to shit my plan <laughs> and if nothing works out for when I move across the world to Asia, then that will be the worst case scenario. And I know I always have home as my backup, but I just remember thinking I'm going to try my hardest to not make that happen to me. So it's really interesting that yeah. you say that because if you really want it bad enough, you will find a way to make it work. And the opportunities now are so much more than what it used to be post COVID, pre COVID, sorry. Yes. And you saying that reminded me like six years ago, that was my initial plan. I had the plan to go like the boyfriend I was with at that time, we were planning to go teach in South Korea, but like his heart wasn't really in it. And it was like my dream. And so I was like, I'm going to go teach in Vietnam. And that's what I planned to do. I got the TEFL certification and all this stuff, but you know, like, you know, everything kind of gets on its own trajectory and that's how that happened. But um, that that's a great starting point, I think for anyone, because it's it is still such a in demand position like the live the live teaching interaction you can do it online which allows you to move more freely but there are a lot of restrictions that come with it like you have to have really really stable internet and sometimes they want you to have like an ethernet connection and that kind of thing so just being mindful of that but yet teaching English was kind of my catalyst as well <laughs> yeah you know and I think on that note um and of course, you know, I'm going to have some people on the podcast very soon in the future who are not from English speaking native countries who have become um, certified teachers in different ways, sometimes maybe not the most legal of ways, which will be really interesting to go into. But we are very blessed to be able to luckily very easily in most countries, especially what I experienced in Asia, to be able to just go and get a visa and teach for whatever amount of time you want. And I do think that that is a great way to start. But I think also it's interesting how it's kind of changed with COVID. That is not something that is kind of the prerequisite now. You can just get a remote job and then next week be like, I'm out. I'm going to go somewhere else. Sometimes 
you know, there are like you have to stay in the time zone or a similar time zone or certain nuances like that. But for the most part, there's so many opportunities than there were two or three years ago. Yes, definitely. So I would love to touch on, I know you very briefly mentioned it, but what you are doing now in Australia and I know that you have established quite a few cafes over in Australia. You've realized that there is such a coffee culture there, very different from the U.S. And I would love to hear more about how that started and what that developed into. Um, I know that you are also helping disadvantaged youth with that as well. So I would love to hear how the cafes developed into that aspect as well. Gotcha. So when I got to Australia, I had zero hospitality background and the work and holiday visa is really catered to the hospitality industry. It was massive when I first got here. It's been, you know, a massive decimation because of COVID, but it's rebuilding like everything. Um, So when I got here, I had to start from the ground up. I was a bussy at like an American barbecue joint. And I'm a vegetarian, so that was fun. And then I took a a barista course, so like a four-hour course. And then I worked at the MCG, which is a massive stadium, you know, huge amounts of coffee making. And it just allowed me to get my speed down and, you know, hone in the skills. And then from there, I actually... I went to do some pair packing in like a, a more regional area. What and is in those pair regional packing? Areas, pair packing, it, fruit packing. So okay. the work and holiday visa that you come on in Australia, it's typically either for hospitality or for um, farm work. So if you do two years, if you do a year of farm work, but for Americans specifically, it has to be above like the line of Capricorn or something. It's, I don't know, <laughs> but um, I was doing mine down here, unaware of that rule. And, but I had a great time. I spent six weeks with like 30 Irish girls in a small, like hostel, just pear packing. And it was so much fun. And, but at that time I had found a cafe and they needed a barista. And so they taught me everything they could. And I became the head barista on Sundays, which is really, really busy. And then I took that skill back to Melbourne and uh, I, ended up working with a friend who was establishing a cafe within a university. And the they wanted the premise of it to be one where they would get disadvantaged youth through another program and then have me train them in hospitality skills, in customer service, uh, and barista making, coffee making. And so I did that for a couple months and really enjoyed that. And then ultimately, uh, I bopped around a bit like so I, I do freelance barristering now which is a whole other realm because cafe work is so prominent um there are platforms where you can just do one shift at a cafe or a coffee cart or anything like that um so I ended up finding a gig through one of those that they wanted to open a cafe within their venue. And I started that cafe for them. I started doing their social media management and that lasted for about a year. And that's when I got into house sitting. So I left that job. And then fast forward, I I got in with another cafe or another company called Youth Projects. And that was another opportunity of opening and establishing another cafe, a brand new one. Um, where I was kind of the manager of it, I was running everything within it. And 
I was helping, again, disadvantaged youth through that program, training them in customer service skills. But then COVID hit and we couldn't really have any more kids come in for safety reasons. So that was so unfortunate that I didn't get the chance to help as many kids as I could have um, before I, you know, I was going stir crazy after two years of being in Australia in lockdown. So I was like, I have to leave. So I left that job. Unfortunately, loved that job. But um, yeah, that's kind of, I went from the ground, you know, bussy to being managers and enterprise coordinator for disadvantaged youth within the cafe industry within a six year time span. So there's so much opportunity for growth within the hospitality industry in Australia, because it's massively different from the States. Like you can just walk into a cafe, say, I need a job. They give you a trial right there on the spot and you can have a job the next day. Whereas in the States, you have to apply online, go through all of like their ridiculous questionnaires that are seen by a robot. And then you never get a call back. <laughs> so wow. if, if you want to like just hop, skip over to Australia and get paid 35 bucks an hour to make coffee, feel free. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did not realize that there was such a coffee culture there, that it was that much of a coffee culture. So you mentioned freelance barista, which is something I've never heard before. Please explain this. I'm thinking like you go on an app and you can just like, please explain how this works. And also, is it $35 per hour to be a barista? Oh. Is that in demand? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my husband's a barista as well, and that's how we met. And so he was working through a platform called Need a Barista, and they were the first kind of of their kind. And then uh, a new app came up called SUP, S-U-P-P. And so through both of those platforms, they just post little one-offs or even like week-long shifts. If someone calls out sick, um, if they need extra staff for events, if they need... Um, if they're looking for new staff, they, they can kind of do that as well. So you work on what's called an ABN as a contractor, which is really easy and free to get in Australia, as long as you have the right to work in Australia, which you can get through a work and holiday visa. And, uh, and then you just, I would recommend having some experience because you don't want to lie about your experience and go into a cafe and just mess everything up. Um, but typically they look for about a year to two years of experience on the platform. So, yeah. And wow. we just, it, it keeps things fresh and fun and you get to go to, so I've done like events on for Nike. I've done a cafe on a boat, um, like on the river. I've gone to Sydney because the platform is, is uh, national and they're also international in New York and LA as well now. So just a really cool, expansive little niche, I would say. <laughs> oh my gosh, I literally had no idea. And I think probably most people who are not in Australia or have never been would have no idea about that. That is so cool. So if you're from maybe like a Western country and you're interested in discovering Australia, you can get, is it a working holiday visa? And then you can barista or you have to work on the the farm. I, I don't know the term for that, but kind of do that work. Yeah, for the no, holiday. You only have to work on the farm if you want a second year visa. Um, you, you can just get a, a full one year working holiday visa. I think the age is like 18 to 35 or something like that. So up to, up to that age, you're able to be on that visa. 
Wow, that's so interesting. Um, so that brings me to the question, speaking of being a barista, what do you currently do to finance your digital nomad lifestyle? Right. So with the, uh, I'll start with the house sitting and the pet sitting aspect. We kind of got into that um, in 2018. Uh, I saw it probably somewhere online that someone was doing it. And I was like, that'd be really interesting. I wonder how prominent it is in Australia. And it's quite big. So we sat for a couple of friends to get references first uh, up onto our platform through Trusted House Sitters. And then there's another two called Aussie House Sitters and Mind a Home and a few other ones um, it, for Australia specifically. But Trusted House Sitters is global. Um, and then we just started applying for anything and everything. Uh, they tell you how many people have applied for those sits. So I typically wouldn't apply for any sits that had over four applicants because we had less chance of getting them. Um, but gosh, we got one that was just absolutely incredible in Jarvis Bay, um, kind of East Coast, Sydney, near Sydney, two hours south. And for an artist, uh, her house was mud brick adobe right on the beachfront. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And we're still friends with them. We were looking after two cats and they were beautiful, lovely little animals. And so, yeah, we we did that for a year straight. We said, that's what we're going to do. Test it out, see if we like it. And then COVID hit. So we stopped <laughs> and then got back into it. We, you know, we went and traveled for a bit, came back and we said, we're going to do this full time now. So we don't have to pay rent because rent was crazy in Melbourne and said, no, thank you. Um, so we have, I think we've done about 15 sits now. And I just did my first international one uh, in Paris uh, back in August of this year. So I was looking after a cat. And I was right in the heart of Paris, so I could go anywhere I wanted. It was a bit of an experience um, in terms of, you know, expectations. But uh, I'm glad I did it and can say I did it. And now I have the confidence to do an international sit. So going forward, I, I'm like, you know, happy to apply for that. I think I applied for a few in like Mexico and Spain at some point. There's just a lot of logistics with leaving Australia because of like the flight costs. It costs like two grand to go anywhere. Oh yeah, you did mention earlier, or you asked earlier about the the um, price for freelance bursting. Yes, just to, to go back to that, um, the I think the minimum wage here is typically like twenty six, and then you get if you're like on books, which is you get your taxes and all that stuff. But if you're a freelance, you have to pay all your own stuff, contractor. So it's at the moment anywhere between I can get a shift from $30 an hour up to fit up to 60. It just depends because some people are so desperate that they'll pay that um, or they'll pay holiday rates, that kind of thing. So you can really do a good amount of savings. Like if you came to Australia and then you wanted to go to Asia, that's a massive, really good conversion, right? <laughs> you can make a lot of money and then go there. Yeah. Oh my it's so close. gosh. Up to $60. That is crazy. Um, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yes. So the okay. case, so and then back to house sitting, we do that. And then I've just gotten into um, writing. So my first degree was in uh, English and comparative literature. And I've gotten a massive kind of interest in sustainable living, um, 
what, how do you say this sustainable well sustainable lifestyle just became really interested in it and I as well as traveling with cultural anthropology being super observational I just love writing and I applied for this gig randomly and I got it <laughs> so I started remote writing for Sustainable Jungle. I've absolutely loved it. I love the topics that we cover. So that funds my lifestyle. And then my husband is just now kind of getting into drone drone work and drone footage. So we're hoping to kind of sell some of that drone footage or start making more videos as we start traveling around Australia shortly in the next seven months or so. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that drone footage will be beautiful. I'm sure that will sell no problem. Australia, I think, is the place to be for drone footage. Yes, lots of good desert shots and ocean shots. It'd be great. Yeah, so so thank you for sharing all of that. I would love to go back to the house-sitting portion of it because I think that's really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, would love to get into the house-sitting world. I know about the platforms and I kind of know the process, um, but I've never actually done it. I was supposed to do it about six months ago in Romania, but that just didn't work out with the timing and the city that we were in. Um, so unfortunately had to cancel that. That was for seven dogs. So <laughs> that was going to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in like rural Romania. Um, but yeah, so I would love to hear, first of all, what are some positives and negatives that you have found through your sits for house sitting? Mm, positives are obviously right off the bat is, um, you know, not having to pay rent but it's an even exchange in my opinion, you know, you're looking after someone's animals, someone's houses, their packages, and then you're also getting an exchange for your accommodation. So that's a massive pro for us. Um, you get to look after adorable animals. Sometimes they're amazing. And I met one cat, two cats, I think in the, all the sits I've done that I still think about to this day. And I'm like, I wish they were my cats and I wish I could have taken them with me. Um, but then, you know, you'll get some animals who like we're on a sit right now. Unfortunately, the cat is just not a fan of us and, you know, throwing up, hissing at us, all that stuff. So hit and miss with the animals, but you're here to look after them and make sure they're safe. So that's the main thing. <laughs> um, I think the other major like con is sometimes I would say communication has to be really clear about expectations. Um we came across a house sit where like cleanliness was a thing where our standard of cleanliness was different from theirs and they were like high level real wanted it real tight and uh so they came back and you know had all these nitpicky things and i was like is this fair i don't really know like so just finding that balance and communicating up front. So we now know going into the next house, it's tech house. Um, so yeah, that's one. And another pro, gosh, the, the fact that there's just so many available that you can go anywhere in the world with a, a platform like Trusted House Sitters, you know, visa permitting, because in Europe, we can only go for three months. So we would have to really map that out. But in Australia, we could go anywhere. And as the holidays, like, you know, the holidays are coming up and we've been 
contacted, I think about 10 or 12 times by people who've needed a sitter for the holiday period. So if you wanted to go on a vacation for the holidays, look on a house sitting platform. That's the way to do it. Wow. Wow. Okay. So thank you for sharing positives and negatives. That's really interesting about the cleanliness aspect. And I've never thought about that, but that is something to take into consideration of it may not always be the same level of standard. So it's good to be really clear about that upfront. Um, mm-hmm. So in you saying that, I have checked many, many times on specifically the Trusted House Sitter app. And well, first of all, I feel like it's mostly, it seems to be in Western countries. Um, a lot of the places that we go, we were in, let's say, Serbia, Montenegro, Romania, Turkey, even in Mexico, I haven't really found any and if I have it's like one or two and they're not really in our date range so I'm curious about competitiveness of this app to me it seems like the availability seems to be pretty competitive with the people who want a house sit what have you found in terms of the competitiveness for actually getting the house sit um so for us like I said, it came down to applying quickly. So I have notifications for my date ranges set. So they'll email me when there's a sit in those date ranges. And so I basically check them every single day to make sure I'm the first one to apply. That's that's it kind of imperative. <laughs> and then the next aspect is to kind of have your spiel down. So you're going to have either in person or a Zoom chat with the the host before you they decide to, to pick you or not. And you have to basically just convey, hey, this is my experience. This is why I think we'd be really good for you. So saying like if, if a place has a garden or a pool, say I have experience with gardening and pools. Um, or I have experience specifically with like your, your um, breed of animal like Siamese cats or something like that, who can be a bit more fickle. So um, finding something in their ad that is very specific to why you would be a good sitter for them. Um, and in terms of other competitors, like just being on as many platforms as you can, like you said, in they're more rare in places like Mexico or Africa, stuff like that. But there's like Nomador um, is one of them that's a bit more, has more range. Um, and then also in terms of competitiveness, like your actual profile, making sure the profile is really extensive, everything is filled out. Um, you have lots of pictures up to show, like a view with animals um, and to to show, oh, I had something in my head. No, it's gone. No. <laughs> um, no, it's gone. That's it. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> that's, that's a really good list, actually. Um, yeah. I'm going to keep all of that in mind and re-listen to this episode when it's time for me to, when I'm in a country that offers enough house sitting, then I'm definitely going to re-listen to this and go through that list and go check, 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 because I would love to house sit. So another question I have for you about house sitting is, can you go from essentially a house sit directly to another sit, directly to another sit, and so on and so forth? Or do you find that there are usually those days in between that you have to maybe rent a place for a month or get a hotel or Airbnb yourself? It's a bit of both. Um, So right now we have 
seven months of house sits booked back to back, date to date. Um, there's a few of them that overlap even. So it is easier when you have a partner, unfortunately. So you can have one partner in one place finishing up the sit and then the other one can start it. Um, so I don't obviously recommend doing that if you're a single person, like really try and map it out. But um, a lot of times we just ask the host and we say, if we have like a two or three day gap and we can't find something and you know the Airbnbs are too expensive in that area, we just ask the host and we say, can we come two days early? If you have a spare bedroom, can we can we stay with you? And they always say yes, uh, if they have the space. So we haven't found that to be an issue yet. Um, I think only one time we had a, a month long gap. And so we just rented an Airbnb that was cheap and that worked for us. Um, yeah, but it's, it's pretty rare now, especially with how many like reviews we have and people people are contacting us as opposed to us having to contact them so like we have a quite established profile now which is nice that's awesome that's really cool all right and my last question I think we talked about this um on our first chat but my last question about house sitting because I have personally found this to be somewhat of a hindrance for us house sitting is do you need a car? Now, maybe it's different in Australia, but a lot of the places that I've seen are not always in the main city and you need a car to actually get there. So have you found this? And if so, what have you done about this? Well, because we live in Australia, it's we have cars because we work here as well. Um, so we actually found that issue right at the start of house sitting. My husband didn't have a license yet, and I we only have one car. And if we wanted to house sit full time, we were going to be house sitting in places that didn't have access to public transport. The public transport in Australia is incredible. It's amazing, especially in Melbourne. They have trams, trains, all the good stuff, buses. But there were some places that just didn't have access to it if we went further out of the city. And so I said, you have to get your license and we have to get two cars if we're going to be able to do this. So that's our experience. We need a car because we also transport um, our, our actual stuff. Like we're not just backpackers, you know, we have carfuls of stuff. Um, but having said that, if you, you can look oftentimes on trusted house sitters, they'll have a little note that says sitter needs a car or car is offered. So sometimes the host will allow you to use your car or use their car if you need to, if they know that they're in a super remote location and there's no possible way. Um, so that is an option, something to look out for. And if you know that you're not going to be, um, you know, you can always rent a car that's expensive. So just be looking for sits that can accommodate that transportation issue. If you're, if you don't have a car, look in the city and you'll likely find public transport mm -hmm. yeah interesting okay yeah because that has been one thing that we have faced we you know live out of suitcases and travel in many different countries so sometimes we do rent cars but if we're in a place where it's a big city and we're staying there for a little while we typically don't have a car so that has been one of the I think downfalls that I've found so far but I'm definitely going to keep an eye out to see if they do mention about having a car or needing a car in the description um I didn't realize that that was something that people noted which is really helpful yeah, and good to know as well. yeah there's like a filter you can put on for it also 
Okay. On the trusted house sitters app. Yeah. At least that app. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing on a bunch of different topics today on the show. Um, one last question before we go, I would love to really briefly, just in a few sentences hear what has been your biggest takeaway of this lifestyle and leaving the U.S. and being in a completely different culture, country? What is one thing that has really hit home for you, has been a big takeaway within your, what was it, six or seven years of living abroad and having this lifestyle? It, gosh, it has been obviously difficult. My family lives in the States, all of them. So that is obviously a major factor that a lot of people will have to consider how close they are to their family and how often they can get back and to see them and stuff and stuff. Um, because my family live on either side of the U S I was already traveling quite a bit between the two States. So I was used to not seeing my family for extended periods. So I made that choice instead of my husband moving over to the States that I moved into Australia. And so that's, that's been a major takeaway is having to navigate, you know, family life. And then also I chose Australia over all the 28 countries that I've been to because travel is, is the most important thing in my life. And it this country is a is a country of travelers. It caters to travelers. You can't go a single day without meeting someone else from another country. And that's what I love. And I love being around like-minded people. And when you're around like-minded people, they will always tell you to pursue what makes you the happiest. So um, if you know, if you know that you love travel, I recommend coming here because it's an amazing, amazing, beautiful country with so much to offer. Um and always I'll just say, take the risk, take the leap. There's never been a person who's taken the leap and regretted it as far as I know. <laughs> totally. Great last words. And I think you sold me on finally wanting to visit Australia. I love what you said about, you know, not being able to go a day without meeting another traveler and being surrounded by people who are like-minded. So you know, I've never really felt much of an urge to go to Australia because it is a Western country. I'm like, don't really love, you know, I left Canada for a reason. Um, but, you know, I think that maybe my mindset has changed a little bit with those words. So maybe one day I'll be getting down to Australia and New Zealand. So thank you so much, Veronica, for being on the podcast, for sharing among so many different topics today. I really appreciate you and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I know I definitely learned a lot and I hope you did along the way as well. As always, thank you for joining me in this journey to build your wealth, build your dream lifestyle, travel the world, and do what you love. I will see you next week on the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast.